Hello and welcome to Peace, the podcast. This podcast is sponsored by Peace, a United Methodist community in Shoreview, Minnesota. I'm Jason Steffenhagen, the lead pastor. And each episode will typically start with a sacred story reading coming from the Holy Scriptures, followed by the message that was given during our Sunday morning worship time. Any announcements for our community will come at the end of each episode, so stick around. If you are curious about learning more about Peace United Methodist Community, you can go to peaceumc.com. Again, that's peaceumc.com. If you would like to find more episodes, you can find them on our website or go to our show page, which is peacethepodcast.podbean.com. Once again, that's peacethepodcast.podbean, P-O-D-B-E-A-N, We hope that you enjoy this episode. Please like, rate, review, subscribe. And now, on to the Sacred Story reading. So we are getting close to the end of the series that we've been traveling in. It's called Out of the Box and Outside the Lines, where we've been looking at the different ways in which God brings an order, humanity has a way of trying to control that order and use it to its advantage, and then God brings liberation and asks us to partner in that liberating effort so that we can move to a good order again. Um, And so what we're going to do is we're going to look at a verse from Paul, because we've kind of been on this trajectory of talking about how we do this in relationship. So we've talked a little bit about Sabbath and prayer. We've talked a little bit about forgiveness and apologies that that disrupt things. We talked about being present and how that can be disruptive at times. And today I want to talk about, I want to end with the idea of solidarity and what does it mean to have solidarity. Um, and so let's look at this passage from Ephesians. And this was written in prison as well by the Apostle Paul. I, therefore, the prisoner in the Lord, beg you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and divine parent of all, who is above all and through all, and in all. Prepositions. You didn't expect that, did you? You didn't expect me to start with prepositions. To, for, with. These are all prepositions. They tend to tell us a little bit about the trajectory that we're on. If I say that I'm going to see you, you know that I'm headed towards you. You If I were to say, I'm I'm here uh, for you, you know that I've brought something to give you. If I say, I'm here with you, you know that I want to be present. For all of my young adulthood and my younger years growing up in the faith, God was always the distant one that we were either praying to and others were the people we were praying for. And so the twos and the fours, which are not numeric, But the twos and the fours were always the things that we were focused on. Pray to God and for others. The word with 
was never something we spent a lot of time on. But when I started diving deeper into the scriptures and started trying to understand and unpack what's really going on in this Bible, there was a name that God gave God's self in the Old Testament. It's when Moses is on the mountain and there's a bush that's burning and he walks up to that bush and the bush says, take off your sandals for this is holy ground. And Moses is like, well, who are you and what are you? And God says, I am that I am. Another way of translating that is saying, I am the with you God. I am the one with you. It's the, the word Yahweh, which is not pronounced, not spoken out loud by the Jewish people because it's so holy and we want to be so reverent. And it's actually meant to be breathed. Yahweh. It's like a breathing in and a breathing out. It's just meant to be breath. It's not meant to be words spoken. It's just meant to be the air that passes through you. In, in essence, the God who is with you, as close to you as your breath. That's who God is, the with you God. There's a rabbi who translates that word instead of saying Yahweh or instead of saying the I am who I am or instead of saying the with you God, he names God as the living presence, that God is the living presence. So every time the word Yahweh or Lord is located in scripture, instead of reading God or Yahweh or Lord, you just say the living presence. And I love that idea. Because it's not a God that we simply pray to. It's not a God that we're asking to do things for us or for others. But it's a with us God. It's a present withness that God is. God is with us. And yes, God is for us. And we want God to do things to us or for us. But God is with us. Learning the witness of God, the presence of God, the living presence of God, it transformed my faith from one of pure obedience and following all the right rules and checking all the right boxes to being a faith that encountered my every moment. That if God is a with us God, then I don't leave God behind. I don't go do the godly thing and then go do the Jason thing and then go do the work thing. I'm doing the with us thing all the time in every space. Now, it's easy for me. I'm a pastor. So you're like, well, duh. Of course you're doing the God thing all the time. Like, that's, what, that's your job. Well, yeah, but you can do the with God thing all the time in every relationship, in every moment, in every spreadsheet, in every meeting at Caribou, in every swing of the golf club, in every flower that you plant. No matter what you do, you can do the with us thing. The witness of God is the presence of God always and everywhere. That's the promise that God makes to Moses when the people are in captivity in Egypt. That's the promise that the psalmist writes about. That's the promise that Isaiah prophesies about. That's the presence of Emmanuel, the God with us in Jesus Christ. That's the resurrected Savior who sends the Spirit to be with us. That is who God is. After this is all over and after we cut the ribbon on the little free library, I get to do confirmation and we're talking about who is God. And I feel like I'm spoiling the lesson because God is the with us 
one. I think one way that we could describe what it means to be in relationship with the with us God and with one another is a network of interconnected love. I just love that phrase, a network of interconnected love. I think too often we see one another with animosity as the other, as someone who's not like us or someone who's different from us or believes different from us or acts different from us or isn't connected to us. But in all understanding of what it means to be human, we are an interconnected network of people. The question is, do we do it with love? Because no matter what you believe, no matter who you love, no matter what you think, no matter how you see the world, you impact me. The way that you view the world rubs off on the world that I live in. We are connected. There's no way of avoiding that. The question is, how are we going to be connected? Are we going to be with one another? And I think what Paul's trying to get the Ephesians to understand, these people in Ephesus to understand, is that despite all the tension they have in their community, all the disruptions, all the, well, should we do this or should we do that? Should we follow this person? Should we go this way? Paul is trying to say, hey, let's get the main thing right here. We got to be about unified love. And if we don't have that at the center of who we are, then we've missed the entire thing. And so Paul writes that in order to do that, we must be humble, we must be gentle, we must have patience, we must do it with love. So before we dive into any other part of this message, I want us to understand that no matter what we do or matter who we do it with or for or to, humility, gentleness, patience, and love need to be the way in which we enter in the way in which we operate. Paul is saying, if we jump in with animosity, if we jump in with judgment, if we jump in as enemies, well, then we already know what trajectory we're on. We already know where we're headed. But if we enter in with humility and gentleness and patience and love, now we have a chance. Now we have a starting point. Now we have an opportunity to actually move towards something that looks like that network of interconnected love that defines the kingdom and kingdom of God. Because for Paul, it's all about moving towards and doing this thing of oneness, of being one body, of one spirit, of one hope that we are called to be for. We are meant to see ourselves as interconnected, to be one with one another. Now, here's the thing about Paul. I like Paul. I don't always love Paul because Paul can write some things like this. And I'm just like, Paul, you have captured the essence of Christ, the essence of God, the essence of community in a paragraph that no one else in history has been able to do. You have like... 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter, is one of the most beautiful things ever written by a human being. The idea of being one body and that all the parts work in harmony together and that we all have to be uniquely who we're called to be in order to function well is an unbelievably transcendent idea that Paul gave to humanity. Some of what Paul does is so unbelievable. And then Paul says some things that we would like him to rewrite. He says things about women. He says things about slavery. He says some things that we wish weren't in the book. 
And now we don't have time to unpack all of that and to dive into that. And we will at some point, I'd be happy to have that conversation because I think it's an interesting one. But here's the thing about Paul. Paul is aspirational. Paul's a visionary. Paul is capturing the ideal of what it means to be a follower of Christ and to live in the world in community. To be of one body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one God, and divine parent of us all. Yes, 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 and amen. That is the true beauty, is that we recognize the oneness of humanity, the interconnected network that we are, so that we can find generosity with one another, hospitality with one another, and move forward, not just for one another or to one another, but with one another. That is what Paul is doing here. But we don't live in the aspirational, we don't live in the ideal, we live in the real world. And we have to confront the reality of what we find ourselves in. And I think Jesus is actually the best example of how we navigate the complexity of what we actually find ourselves in. Because Jesus doesn't philosophize about the exact way that it will be one day. And, 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 and we can read some of that in the Sermon on the Mount, but ultimately Jesus has relationships with human beings on planet Earth. And he gets into the mess of it all. And he talks to people and he argues with people and he debates a little bit and it gets complex and we have to try to understand what's going on. And so I love the story in Matthew chapter nine because it takes this beautiful ideal of relationship and oneness and it says, okay, how is Jesus going to do that in the nitty gritty of the real world? And so I want to read to you a passage from Matthew chapter nine. It's about four or five verses long. um, And then I'm going to unpack it as briefly as I can. Um, If you want to listen to a longer version on this, some friends and I recorded a podcast just last week, but I think it's a perfect example of what we're talking about. So as Jesus was walking along, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax collection station. And he said to him, follow me. If you've read any of the Jesus story, you know that's what Jesus says when he wants someone to follow him to be his disciple. So it's this kind of revolutionary moment in a person's life to be called to follow Jesus. So follow me. Instantly, he got up and followed him. And as he sat at dinner in the house, many tax collectors and sinners came and were sitting with Jesus and his disciples. They're at the house of Matthew. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when Jesus heard this, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I have not come to call the righteous but sinners. Let me read to you the First Nations translation of that last part, that last sentence, because I think it actually gets at the beauty of this passage more than the translation I just read. The First Nations translation says this, I have not come for the ones with good hearts. I have come to help the outcast find the path back home again. I've come to help the outcast find the path back home again. I love the way the First Nations translation puts that because it takes that idea of sinner and it nuances it in a really helpful way because sinner can be such an identity thing. It can be such an us and them thing, like those people over there that are sinners versus us over here who are the righteous. That's how I always unpack this passage. Whenever I read this passage, I identified with the idea of, yeah, we're the righteous. Who are the sinners? Who's Jesus here to help? That's how I always thought of this passage who's in, who's out, who's the righteous, who are the sinners. And then we started diving in and processing this passage, trying to figure it out. 
Because I think what Jesus is actually up to is something revolutionary in this moment. There are essentially two factions in the first century. There's the Pharisees in one corner. They're in the red corner. And the Pharisees are all about obeying all the rules. They got 609, 610 odd rules that they've gotten from the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. They've got their whole list of rules and they expect everyone to be obedient to the rules. And that is the only way God is going to ever intervene and going to give the land back from the, from the Romans. God will intervene once Israel follows all the rules the way they're supposed to. That's the way to salvation. Follow all the rules. So the Pharisees are in one corner. In the opposite corner with the red gloves, with the tan pants, we have the chief priests and the tax collectors. They're somewhat in league. The chief priest is the one in charge of the temple. The chief priest is the one who manages the sacrificial system in order for people to be ritually clean and forgiven of their sins. Some of that's rules-based. Some of that's just doing the required ritualistic religious thing. And they know that in order to build a nice temple, in order to rebuild the temple and to keep it going, they need to collect taxes. So they have some tax collectors on the payroll who are collecting taxes for Rome and collecting taxes for the temple. So there's potentially some interconnectedness between Matthew and the religious establishment of the chief priests and the priests of the temple. So Pharisees in one corner obey all the rules, and in the opposite corner, we have the priests in the sacrificial system. Jesus is going to interact with both. We know Jesus had a lot to say to the Pharisees, not a lot of it very kind, and we know that Jesus has a way of interacting with the tax collectors. He befriends them. What's going on here? Because it seems like Jesus is saying to the Pharisees, hey, you're fine. I don't need to help you. I don't need to fix you. I don't need to tell you anything. You already know all the rules. I'm here to help these broken, horrible, awful tax collectors. They're the ones that are messed up. That's why I'm hanging out with them. I actually don't think that's what's going on in this passage. Because Jesus isn't there to fix Matthew. He's not fixing anything. He just said, come hang out with me. And then the way Jesus hung out with him is he went to his house and had dinner with him. My friend Stephanie asked Lisa and I on the podcast, if Jesus were to show up right now and hang out with people, do you think he would make us mad by who he hangs out with? And my answer was, I don't think so, because I would assume that if he's hanging out with somebody, it's either because he's just trying to teach them something or he's trying to correct their behavior. And then she said, well, what if... What if he was hanging out with someone, but he wasn't teaching them anything, and he wasn't trying to fix their behavior? He was just eating dinner and laughing at their jokes and having fun. Would that make you uncomfortable if it was someone who doesn't think like you, believe like you, act like you? Would you find that off-putting? And I was like, well, yeah. We're not, it's not fun to be an insurrectionist. Sorry, I'm going to give away someone who I don't identify with. Like, I don't, why would you have fun with someone who thinks that we should overthrow the government and take back America for something that we don't want to be? Like, that wouldn't, don't, we don't joke around about that. And that's, my friend Stephanie's like, well, how would you feel? How would I feel if Jesus was just lounging back and having dinner at someone's house? I was, I, I was like, well, I'd be pretty uncomfortable. I'd be pretty uh, off-put by that. I don't know what I would do with that. 
And yet, to the Pharisees, that's what Jesus is up to. He's hanging out with people that they don't understand, that they aren't willing to be present with. They think Jesus needs to fix them. Because here's the thing about being at a table in the first century. When you were in the first century and you get invited over to someone's house and you sit around the table, you were basically saying, we have something in common. We have equal standing. We are together in this. This is a place of commonality and mutuality. This is a place of hospitality. You are welcome here. The Pharisees had no problem inviting Jesus over for dinner. We see Jesus eating dinner with prominent Pharisees all the time because they want the coolest new rabbi who's got the big crowds, who's doing all these miraculous healings. They want him sitting at their table because they feel like it justifies everything they're about. If Jesus sits at the table of the Pharisees, it tells them, hey, we must be right. Jesus wants to have dinner with us. This is pretty cool. And so when suddenly Jesus is sitting at the table of a tax collector, the Pharisees are like, whoa, 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 whoa. You were affirming that we're right by sitting at our table. Why are you sitting at their table and laughing at their jokes and having fun with them? That doesn't seem to be the way to do this. That doesn't seem to be the way to bring about God's kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. That doesn't seem to be healthy. That doesn't seem to be right. And so the Pharisees are calling it out, and Jesus is like, all right, let me put the pause button on here. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. In that one line, he's actually critiquing both groups. The sacrificial system that the, fair, that the tax collectors and the religious elite, the chief priests, they're all about, he's saying, hey, that system had its use. I get it. I'm a part of it. It's not the end-all, be-all. And also, all this rule-keeping that you have, you've forgotten mercy. You've forgotten loving kindness. You've become judgmental. You've become exclusionary. I desire mercy and loving kindness, not simply sacrifice. You're both off. I'm sitting at both tables. Because what I'm here to do is something radically different than either of you have ever imagined. I'm finding a way to bring us together. I'm finding a way to be in solidarity with you, to be human with you, to be with you. I can't change the world if I'm not sitting at the table. I can't change hearts and minds. I can't have people start to reevaluate their choices and to figure out who they're supposed to be and how they can be of use for God's glory if I'm not with them. Because so much of modern Christianity is not with. It's to do something to others or for others, not just with others. So as a reconciling and growing community for everyone, we need to be asking the question, not simply, who do we need to go to and what can we do for them? We have to ask the question, how can we be with people? Because Jesus is going to sit at the table of the Pharisee and at the table of the tax collector. Jesus will be with people, knowing that it's the witness of God that brings about transformation, not the animosity of God. Because there is no animosity in God.
there's only love. There's only witness. And Christ is calling us to be a witness people. Let's pray. God of the witness, God who is with us, God who is present, the living presence, we are grateful. We're grateful that you sat at the seat, the table of the rule keepers, the, re- the religious elite who are telling everybody what to do, because so often we can be just like that. So thank you for sitting at that table. Christ, thank you for sitting at the table of the tax collectors, those who thought they were politically in the right, that wanted power, who wanted control, who wanted to shape things for their own benefit. Thank you for sitting at their table and helping them see that there might be a better way. Christ, thank you for being with humanity, even when humanity put you on a cross. Thank you for being with humanity in the grave. Thank you for being with humanity when you came forth from the grave and said, I am now sending you my spirit to be with you. Holy Spirit, we need that same resurrection power so that we can be with people. It's hard. May we be a withness people. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen. We are a community that is reconciling and growing for everyone, and that for everyone is really important to us because we want everyone to feel at home here, no matter who you love, no matter what you look like, no matter your political background, no matter what. We want you to know that God is for you, that we are in this with you, and that we want to join together to see this world flourish and to see you flourish. That's what this is all about. So welcome to peace. We are so glad that you're with us. Couple of quick announcements. Pam wants to get rid of all these shirts, and so they're in a box on the welcome table. So please take them. Otherwise, Pam's going to keep telling me to make this announcement. So take the shirts, please. Uh, they're free, unless you want to donate. Right, Elaine? There you go. Okay. So the big announcement for today is, as many of you know, we are cutting the ribbon on the little free library. And so we're so grateful for all the work of the committee. And we have a lot to say about all that coming up at the end of today's service. So I'll save a lot of my comments for that time. But just know that we want you to stick around after the service because we're going to pray. We're going to walk out and grab some books and then go outside cut the ribbon, fill the library, celebrate. We got a little litany of dedication. It's going to be a really fun morning and and we're excited to get this thing started for our community. So thanks for thanks for all the hard work getting to this point, the committee and for everyone for just bringing books. We've got so many and we're really really excited about the work that's gone into all this. Encore is tonight, so if you're in middle school or high school, come back at 7. Um, actually, what you should do is come back at five. <laughs> See what I did there? Because at five o'clock, we're going to have our first outdoor family game night. And so we've been doing family game nights. We started them last summer. We continued all through the winter and we're finally able to be back outside. We're going to get a bonfire going. We're going to get hot dogs, have some s'mores. And so if you just want to bring a dish to share, like a side or a dessert, that'd be great. We're going to have drinks, hot dogs, and marshmallow stuff. So other than that, um, just come ready to hang out, bring an outdoor lawn game. We'll have some available. Bring a lawn chair if you want something more comfortable than the benches that we have. Ultimately, we just want to have fun together. So everyone's welcome. Bring a neighbor, bring a friend, bring a family member, whatever it is. Many of you saw the email that went out late this week about the upcoming summer series. The music that made us 
What we're going to do every week is break down and talk about a different song that has resonated with us at some point in our life. And these songs are not just Jason's like top 10, okay? Like, and if you don't email me, it is going to be Jason's top 10. You're going to be stuck listening to Coldplay all summer. Okay, I'm sorry. But I mean, or, or you're welcome, either one. Um, but, but I want to know from you all, like, what are the songs that have resonated with you? Both from a, man, this changed the trajectory of my life. This made me think about something. This put language to an emotion that I had I didn't understand. Uh, maybe it connected with your faith in a really interesting way. Music is that that engine a lot of times of of our life. It, it gives us a soundtrack to live. And so we want to talk about that, talk about the different songs that have made us this summer. May you know that God is for you and that ultimately God is with you. May you be for other people and then ultimately may you be with other people. May you embody the spirit of Christ who is willing to sit at tables knowing that transformation only comes when we are with one another. So may you be with your community, with your family, with your loved ones, with your friends, and even with your enemies. And let love, humility, gentleness, and patience transform the whole thing. In the name of Christ, amen. Thank you for listening to this episode of Peace, the podcast. If you would like to learn more about our community, go to peaceumc.com. Again, that's peaceumc.com. For more episodes of this podcast, you can go to our website or go to the show page, peacethepodcast.podbean.com. Again, peacethepodcast.podbean.com. May you experience the love of God and may you have peace.